Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning into Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here, where we're coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating 10 years of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies for business. It's the fourth Monday of the month, and that's when we get to hear the breakthrough tip. It's a short tip at the top of the show where you can go take action on that information right now. Our featured spot today is with Mike Lewis the author of When to Jump, If the Job You Have Isn't the Life You Want. Our featured interview is a 30- to 35-minute conversation that's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. Then we wrap up this Monday with our Breakthrough Bite and Andrea Walsh, our Go For No Expert. The Breakthrough Bite is a 10-minute segment that's more than our tip, not as much as our featured spot, making sure that we meet all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio, and if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. That's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www thebreakthroughradio.com. You know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. That means that any and everything that we talk about today, something we may list as a reference or a resource, we link to it there. Whether it's how to reach Mike, Andrea, or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out. Truly connect. Ask us a question, engage us in conversation, and of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, here is our breakthrough tip for January. The human side of entrepreneurship. You know, we hear a lot of advice from entrepreneurs, startup founders, and CEOs on what it takes to be a good leader and entrepreneur, except when it comes to the human side of the equation. Now, some may share anecdotal experiences. Many simply brush this topic aside because no one really wants to address it. It can be messy and a big unknown since it changes, it shifts, and it morphs from one entrepreneur to another. Since our commitment here on Breakthrough Radio is to help you master both the internal and external strategies of business, we've decided to make this topic our breakthrough tip every fourth Monday. What does that mean to explore the human side of entrepreneurship? Well, you know, this can span from what we personally feel and think while on our journey as an entrepreneur, how it affects our performance, and of course, our families and our work team. We are at the helm of our business, and how we show up means everything to the results we produce as well as receive. You know, often entrepreneurs are referred to as the unsung heroes of progress because entrepreneurs are the ones willing to go out into the front and risk it all. 
you know, that can have a toll on you as a person. <laughs> and it and it can have a dark side to it when you're hit with loneliness, isolation, stress, and depression. Sometimes in the glare of the bright lights of success, we forget that behind the current winning entrepreneur receiving today's accolades are thousands of entrepreneurs that have failed, that are struggling with how to use their failure for improvement. You know, some shift gears into this area with ease, and we're not addressing you. For those of you who feel frustration and doubt and even depression, my vision for this segment each month is to give you a safe place to come here and experience ideas you can use for yourself surrounding this topic and to discover how to master the internal strategies in the game of business. I welcome you to share with me either your challenges or your questions you'd like us to address here on Breakthrough Radio, and you can do so anonymously at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Now, my goal for all of us is to master the sometimes elusive internal game of business and become the best entrepreneurial leader we can be. So here is January's tip. What is your clarity of thinking? You know, gaining clarity can be a sticky wicket sometimes. It happens when we miss our personal biases getting in the way. Critical thinking is the ability to be able to control one's thinking. It includes the ability to consciously examine the elements of one's reasoning or that of another and evaluate that reasoning against universal intellectual standards, clarity, accuracy, precision, relevance, depth, breadth, and logic. So let's do this. Let's quickly examine what does it mean if you have clarity. Here's a definition that I pulled up for us today. You know, clarity means clearness. Clean water running down a mountain has clarity. So does a lovely singing voice. It's clear and pure. If you bring clarity to a situation, you help people see what's really happened by clearing up misunderstandings or giving explanations. Communicating with clarity can prevent misunderstandings and keep things running smoothly and peaceably. Ensuring clarity in communication is the responsibility of each individual, particularly since our performance is so frequently appraised based on our ability to effectively communicate. So there's a few things I wanted to look at real quick here today. What are those nine intellectual standards that we talked about earlier? Well, you know, we use nine intellectual standards um, to assess thinking. They are clarity, accuracy, precision, relevance, depth, logic, significance, and fairness. So what does it look like for clear but not accurate? You know, a statement can be both clear and accurate but not precise, as in Jack is overweight. Now, we don't know how overweight Jack is, one pound or 500 pounds. A statement can be clear, accurate, precise, and relevant but superficial. That is, it lacks depth. 
So let's think about what are some of the barriers to critical thinking, since this is so important for us to gain clarity. Critical thinking is the ability to think about an issue and make decisions objectively without being encumbered by personal interest, assumptions, or influence from social groups. When you focus solely on your own needs, previous held beliefs, you can get stuck in self-interested thinking and egocentrism. I see this happen all the time, especially when entrepreneurs are learning how to pitch and to be able to start getting their message out there about their startup, their solution, their product, their service. They have a hard time thinking about the user experience coming from the user's perspective because, frankly and understandably, they are so standing in their solution, who they are, what they do. So after listening to this first segment on the human side of entrepreneurship, what I want to ask you is what kind of questions are surfacing for you? You know, this is a good foundation for us to explore from a clear, accurate, and precise place how we can learn to master the inner game of business by mastering the internal struggles, the internal strategies shared today. You know, we'll continue to unpack this each week so that by the end of 2018, you've learned to put into practice actions that help you grow as an individual and make better choices and decisions as an entrepreneur. I trust you enjoyed this. And again, if you would like to send us questions, you can do so at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Now, in our last featured episode, we talked with Jamie Bliss, the author of Chief Customer Officer 2.0. Now, a big company that's embraced the customer narrative well over the years is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead and be more strategic in how you create value for your internal and external customers? You know, expectations have changed, and that means you need to find ways to change with them. One of those changes is the game of buying for business no matter what industry you sit. It's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what growth hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached and asked for help to grow businesses and revenues. You know, growth hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what is important to customers today and using analytics to see how customers are making their buying decision is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headaches. It is your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So be thinking about 
my buyer journey map need to look like for 2018? And make sure you reach out to growthhackingcmo.com and find out how they can help you. So I am, before we start a featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Well, it's time for us to move into our featured interview, and I am looking on the switchboard for our guest. Boy, 2018 seems to be the year (laughs) that we have some interesting challenges for people dialing in. So give me one second as here I am live during the show looking through email to see if anybody had a question on the number to dial in. And I'm going to quickly email both the PR person and the guest to remind them we need to mail. I wish I could type and talk at the same time. There is a limit to my skills here. <laughs> okay, you know sent. So let's think about this. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed when I was sent a copy of When to Jump is that this is a common question that I see happen for entrepreneurs no matter where they are in their journey. You know, some people may have never jumped from one thing to another, so they have a plethora of questions surrounding about you know, is this a good thing for me to do? How do I understand the timing of, 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 you know, moving from one thing to another? Especially if you chose the path to go into uh, the corporate world to gain some specific experiences before you decided to do it on your own in your own business or your startup. And so, some of the things that I've watched people literally kind of wring themselves out over when it's time for them uh, to be making those decisions and those choices about how and when to jump. And I think the first one that really, really pops up is having a hard time recognizing and listening to that uh, small voice in the head. You know, it's the it's the small, quiet voice that tends to be the one that has the most accurate uh, information for us. The doubts, the fears, all of those other things tend to be the ones that are much louder. (laughs) That is one piece of advice I would give you as an entrepreneur who has had to make this decision multiple times uh, and it, it, it's something that, oh gosh, you know, it's it's a it's a hard decision. I totally get it, especially if you've never been an entrepreneur before. What I notice is people tend to use um, so many things as excuses or uh, hurdles to hold them back 
from making decisions and choices. I've seen people get into analysis paralysis around this, and that for some people can happen for years before they ever recognize they actually missed their opportunity, as Mike says, to jump. And that's something that I don't want to have happen to listeners. Uh, I don't want I don't want that to be part of your journey, to, to miss the opportunities that you've been dreaming about for so long. And, you know, it's not a fun place to be in when you're trying to make all these choices and decisions by yourself. As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that um, was really interesting and, and a great way to lead into the conversation today while we're waiting for Mike to dial in is to share the forward that Cheryl Sandberg has written for his book called When to Jump. Here's what she says. The most important jump in my life happened nearly a century before I was born. My great-grandparents, Sadie and Gimple, grew up not too far from each other in different villages in what is now southern Ukraine. In the early 1900s, they and their family packed their bags and moved to a place on the other side of the world where Jews could live free from persecution, the New York City. There, Sadie and Gimple found the security and opportunity they hoped for. They also found each other. They met, married, settled into a walk-up apartment in a tenement on the lower east side of Manhattan, sharing a bathroom with several other families on the floor. They worked hard to build a good life for themselves. Gimple was a street vendor, pushing a cart to sell his wares. Sadie gave birth to eight children, three girls, five boys. One of those boys was my grandfather, Emmanuel, whom everyone called Manny. In his 20s, Manny worked in the post office while going to city college at night. Later, he sold insurance. I used to ask him, what was life like in that crowded apartment and how in the world they managed with just one bathroom? He'd say in his raspy voice, yeah, just wait your turn. Eventually, I realized how ironic the answer was. I am likely alive today because Sadie and Gimple didn't wait their turn. Had they not left Europe my family almost certainly would have died in the Holocaust. Instead, my great-grandparents found the courage to build a new life in a new land. They jumped. So flash forward to the year 2005 when I met my second cousin, Mike, for the first time. He was in the 11th grade. I was recently married and working at Google. I loved Mike right away. He was funny and smart and way more thoughtful than I was as a teenager. And in our first meeting, we sat down to figure out how we were related. It turns out his grandmother, Freda, was Emanuel's sister. And they grew up together in that one-bedroom apartment, waiting their turn together. I wonder if they ever imagined that decades later, her grandson and his granddaughter would be sitting at a table in California figuring out their family tree. Since then, I've seen Mike graduate from high school and college and start his career. I've seen him take the audacious jump into becoming a professional squash player and saw how much joy it brought him. 
I've seen him study how and why people jump and the lessons we can all learn about courage, resilience, and leading fulfilled lives. And I've seen him take those lessons and put them into this book, one that I know will guide others as they face big decisions. Like Mike, this book is smart, friendly, and ready to help people make a jump of their own. Explains the simple framework that many successful jumpers have followed and offers insights not just from his personal experience, but from people of many ages and backgrounds with dreams of all kinds. Some of their jumps led to small but meaningful changes in their lives. Others altered their futures in enormous ways. Not one of them regrets having jumped. The question I've come back to again and again in my life is, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? That question gave me the push I needed to make big jumps, from government to the sector, from Google to a company called Facebook run by a 23-year-old with a vision of connecting the world. Each time, some people I really trusted told me I was making a mistake. Each time, they might have been right. But my heart told me otherwise. I want to jump. And I've never looked back. We all face moments in our lives when we have to decide to jump or not to jump. That might mean leaving a familiar field to pursue a passion project on a new responsibility at work. It might mean starting a new relationship or saying goodbye to one that has reached its end. It might be as small as embracing a new hobby or as big as driving to a new country. You never know exactly where those jumps will take you. They can be scary and they don't always work out for the best, but they're how we pursue our dreams. They can make us stronger, more resilient, just plain more interesting. They can let us imagine things not as they are, but how they should be, and then push us to do the hard work to make the change happen. There are ways we can make those jumps more likely to lead somewhere great, and this book tells you how. Who knows? Maybe one day your great-grandchildren will talk about that jump you made all those years ago changed everything for them, just like our grandparents changed everything for Mike and me. So I'm getting a very odd message here from my dashboard. I am not able to see anything there. So I am going to go to a new browser there. You are getting to experience what it is like to solve a problem live and in the moment, which is one of those things that sometimes happens to you as an entrepreneur. So let's see if moving over here will solve our problem. I'm waiting for it to uh, bring up our switchboard, and hopefully I will be able to, yay, can finally see Mike on the switchboard. 
So let me close this out in the other browser so we don't get any sort of echo. And I will quickly introduce him. You know, Mike Lewis received his BA from Dartmouth College and decided to pursue his dreams of becoming a professional squash player after two years of working at Bain Capital. Since then, he's been collecting stories of other people who have left certain paths to pursue entirely different ones and sharing them under the Wind to Jump platform online in seminars held around the country. He lives in San Francisco, and I'm hoping when our startup grind team goes out there uh, this February, we might have an opportunity to meet him. So you guys, please join me as we welcome Mike Lewis to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Of course. Yes, and one of my biggest fears after 10 years of producing Breakthrough Radio is to have something like this happen live during the show, but you know, <laughs> you keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate it. I don't know. I was, I was off somewhere in cyberspace on this, on this phone line, but I'm glad you found me. I was, I was excited and listening to every word you were talking about. <laughs> you know, sometimes what I've noticed whenever we have an opportunity to hear a story we know, told by someone we've never met, sometimes it actually surfaces some different things that uh, we, we, we hadn't even thought of before. So <laughs> hopefully that will happen for you from listening to me share, share Cheryl's story. <laughs> no, no, I, I loved it. I think you're absolutely right. Hearing it from somebody else, you know, I know those words very well and I obviously have uh, a special relationship with, with Cheryl, but to hear somebody else kind of walk through that um, that shared history and um, really the foundation to what has become this platform and community through Cheryl's words was very, very unique. So I appreciate that um, accidental benefit of this. <laughs> I am going to use that term, accidental benefit. I have a feeling in 2018 there might be a lot of those happening. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed, Mike, as I was reading the book, because, you know, your PR person reached out to me, and uh, I, I have to hold my hand up and say, I hadn't seen you online yet. I hadn't had a chance to meet you. And the interesting thing that really grabbed me as I just kind of opened it and started scanning through uh, the introduction and uh, some of the things as far as what you were sharing about your journey as I thought, oh, my God, everybody that I know who's had to make the choice of when do I make that move has gone through all kinds of phases of doubt, confusion, writing the pros and cons list. I mean, there's so much advice around this topic. People still tend to throw themselves into what I call unnecessary uh, analysis paralysis. Share with our listeners a little bit about what this jump journey looked like for you, and then also share where was your hurdle so that they can start recognizing maybe their hurdle is either the same or is different, and then we can talk about some of the ways that they can maneuver through it. Sure. And again, thanks for, for having me on. I love the show and I feel like hopefully this will be uh, valuable for, for those listening. And, you know, for me, it was this, it was this crossroads. Um, I was a few years out of school and working at what I thought was 
kind of the, the job that on paper I was supposed to have. It was a, a career that my parents were proud of that checked the box for my friends and other classmates that my siblings were proud of as well. And, you know, for me, this, this unsettling uh, voice came back in my head, which was reminding me that there were other things I wanted to do. And to back up a little bit, I grew up in Southern California and I discovered the sport of squash, which is kind of like racquetball played indoors. It's very much a niche sport that's largely played in Europe and overseas. But I, I remember very early on when I was 14, getting into the sport at the one club that had the only courts within a hundred miles or so. And a player was traveling through from the professional squash tour. And he talked about how there were competitions on the tour around the world and cities in Asia and towns along the Pacific and mountains in Brazil. And I just remember saying at some point, that's what I want to go do. And so 10 years later, I was faced with this dilemma as I went into what I thought was my dream job, which was that this voice wouldn't go away and no one was going to come in and tell me when to chase it. And so when to jump really came out of my own personal struggle to kind of figure out what you're supposed to do when there's something else you want to be doing especially when the thing you're currently doing is approved of by society and by your family and by your peers. And so I went on a quest that started five years ago in January of 2013 to reach out to other people that left something comfortable to go do what they cared about, whether that was leaving teaching to become a painter, whether that meant leaving being an accountant to start a bakery. I just wanted to hear how they jumped. And I remember getting to a woman who left a bank to start uh, cycling, and she became a professional cyclist. She ultimately made the Olympic team. But what she told me had nothing to do with how to be a cyclist and everything to do with how to be human and to deal with questions like, you know, what your parents will think or what your classmates or your coworkers might, might say to you and how failure feels like and all these things that I think are missed a lot of times in social media or in conversations on LinkedIn or across news sites and even across dinner tables. You know, the the real nitty gritty that comes in with doing what you love. And so these stories quickly helped me prepare for my jump, one that allowed me to a year and a half later leave the U.S. and Boston for New Zealand and start what was supposed to be three months and turned into nearly two years, 200,000 miles in 50-something countries, playing on the pro tour, collecting stories and seeing this dream through. And, you know, sadly, the friend I confided in this project about probably – you know, I guess it was that night I spoke to the cyclist. I told him, you know, this should be a book. He's my friend Corey. We were at work together. I showed him a cover page I sketched. I really believe this should be a book, but really a community where people can connect online. I bought in a website, whentojump.com, which is where we're headquartered today. And I said, you know, this should be a community and this should be a book. And while I was gone playing, he sadly, he passed away in a, in a tragic accident. And at that point, I said, you know, I need to finish this. So I collected more stories and the stories piled up and were passed around. And, you know, when I came back, we launched whentojump.com. We partnered with Ariana Huffington, Huffington Post. We got more and more stories coming in when we reached several million people in our first few videos. And then at some point, you know, we, we said, geez, you know, this is, this is bigger than just a book or a media site. We, we started to host festivals um, first in San Francisco, then New York, now in London this fall. And, and create a really robust community online and in person. And what I, what I found through all this, which the book talks about, is that there's really five, well, let's say four phases 
of when to jump. And the book has 44 stories that I filtered down from thousands of conversations. And they're threaded through a framework that I call the jump curve. And for me, it's really looking at all of the different ways people have jumped and seeing what are the common threads. And I've identified four phases. The first is listening to the little voice. As I mentioned, that's kind of the first thing you got to do. The second is make a plan. And the book dives into how you kind of take the aspirational and then combine it with being pragmatic. And then the third is to let yourself be lucky, which is to put yourself in a position so that when you jump, you're able to run into other things and people and opportunities. And then the final piece is to not look back. Once you've jumped, don't look around and wonder if people are giving you approval or not or if you're winning or losing, but, but truly jump for, for you and your purposes and go forward from there. And so those are kind of, you know, at a very high level, what I think we dive into, you know, in a kind of clear and um, uh, I would say pragmatic way in the book and have been really just the basis for what has grown, like I said, on our newsletter. We have a When to Jump podcast. We have this book, of course, that's worldwide um, and through our festivals, which we hold once a year. And it's really the cornerstone to our community. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're looking for permission to jump, that's kind of what this book offers. Well, you know, one of the things that I wrote uh, as a note inside of the book, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm one of those readers that turns down pages, that circles things, that puts stars on it, that writes notes in there. And we can hear a little bit of background noise, just in case you weren't aware that the mic picks all that up. Um, but it's it. the note that I wrote was, while there's not a perfect pattern that you can rely on to get to yes, there is the ability to recognize when it's time to read the yeses that are coming at you. And I just wonder... What kind of yeses were coming to you when you finally started listening to that little voice? Because I've noticed so many people tend to really shush and shame the little voice that's there to help them. Yeah, you know, I think that's actually a really good point is that, first of all, I would say before I took a jump, I had what I call 10,000 unsexy steps of planning, budgeting, saving. And the book really goes into that because that's the stuff that we don't talk about, but that's so important. And I think to your question, I really felt like I, if if anything, should have told someone sooner that I wanted to go play pro squash. And here's why. When you, when you tell someone what your dreams are, what your most vulnerable ambitions are, are that are sitting in your head and in your heart, turns out most people want to actually help you. And I remember there's a few instances. One, at the club, I was playing squash. I was training before work, at lunch, after work. I heard uh, one of the teaching professionals talking to someone about his experience playing the tour. And I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, not anytime soon, but at some point in my life, I want to go do this. Could you help me too? Could you give advice on where to stay and how to train? And he said, of course. Just tell me when you want to talk. And for me, it was all of a sudden so real. Like I... I wasn't just dreaming this. I knew someone now that could help me plan the tour. And then I remember speaking to a, a very senior person at our firm, and I said to him, I kind of let it slip at the end, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing this sometime, and I confided in him. And he said, you absolutely should. And to me, here was someone who I respected, who was successful, quote, unquote, who had followed the path, 
And he told me about a year he took to travel and do his passion project. And so to find someone else that would give me this approval of nodding as I listened to the voice gave that voice more credence and more reputational uh, veracity, really, to be able to say, this is something I should be doing. Not only do I believe that, but now I'm getting people in my corner. Um, And I remember, you know, somebody else who said to me, you know, you got to follow what your heart is, is saying. And if you go and and do this, you're going to create a great story and that story will do something else for you. And so it took years for me to say this out loud, but once I did, the response was, you know, and and I think it's actually unsurprising. The response was really positive. And, And like I said, there's so many stories in the book that we, that we share this, that it's not unique to me. It's about taking that voice and getting it out to the world and, and, and sharing it with mentors and coworkers and people. And there might be people that not, don't want to hear it, but for every person who doesn't want to hear it, there's going to be five or 10 or 12 more who do. And once you start saying it, like I did to my um, older supervisor and to the squash professional, you'll see that the, the world wants to help you out. I mean, it's, it's like the Paulo Coelho book, The Alchemist, the universe is there and it will conspire to, to, to make that jump happen if you, if you, if you tell it. You know, it's interesting because as I'm listening to you share that, Mike, one of the things that I've really noticed, because I I, I hear from startup entrepreneurs all the time here in the Houston area, uh, because I think one of the things that allows us as a startup growing team is we, we meet so many people, both locally, regionally, as well as globally. And I've noticed that people tend to give more weight to the negative voices they hear instead of to the positive voices they hear. And so in what you just shared, I'd invite listeners that, you know, just like Mike said, there's going to be five or six to the one that are trying to push you. Remember that that one or two, quit giving it 100 pounds when you only give the yeses five or 10 pounds. That, that's something that I would encourage all entrepreneurs to start recognizing when they argue for their weakness. Love that. I think that's exactly right. There's always, you know, there's always going to be someone, and we all know that someone, who if you ask them for their thoughts, they're probably not going to give you a very positive response. And there's a story in the book from a woman who's in her late 30s and has a, um, a young daughter and is a single parent. And she talks about this in the book. Her name is Laura McCowan. And she says, you know, instead of looking for permission from everybody, look for support. And I think that's so important mm. because if you look for permission, mm-hmm. you're never going to get a hundred percent permission. But if you look for support, the people that love you, they might not agree with what you're doing, but they will support you and that will set you free. Well, there's so much that I'd love to ask you, but we don't have time to go into all of it. I I do want to make sure that I don't forget to ask you our signature question because Lou in New York taught me the two times in two years I forgot to ask it. She never let me down uh, forgetting it. And so I've, I've learned not to forget it. And it's funny, Mike, because it doesn't really have anything to do with your topic or your area of expertise. It's something that allows listeners to kind of just get to know you as a person. 
and and I've also learned in asking this question, it helps to get a little bit of background of how the question surfaced. You know, we jokingly call it our brain download question because I was watching Star Trek one Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, watching the reruns, and Spock was doing his whole mind melt thing we've seen him do where he puts his hands on people's heads and he can, like, literally morph into their entire life memory. And at the time, someone had made a really bad choice that he was doing that with, and I yelled at the TV, which I bet you've never done, right? <laughs> I yelled at the TV, and I said, I don't care about all of his life, but if you can explain to me why he made that choice and that decision, that would be really interesting. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, my God, that's actually a really good question. So instead of an entire mind meld that you could give people, if they could just have a slice of that, just a mini brain download, where we would be able to understand how someone had made their decisions in their life. And let's say you could have that brain download with anybody, whether it's someone from the past, the present, or the future. Who would Mike Lewis want to have that brain download from and why? Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. And, gosh, anyone? Hmm. Uh, Probably my great-grandparents, just because I'd love to know their their story of of settling in America and and taking the jump, you know, to, to make that possible. And, and I think that was such a time of uncertainty and struggle and, and ultimately perseverance and, and understanding the, the why there um, and the brain download from their perspective, I think would be very formative, even you know, several generations later. It is always fascinating what goes into people making their choices and decisions because it can make it can make a huge 180-degree turn in what happens in their lives. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoyed about reading When to Jump, the fact that you were able to capture people recognizing that they wanted to jump and just share their story of what they went through to get there. My hopes is that listeners who go and get a copy of When to Jump will recognize what theirs are if they've been hiding them or they've been ignoring them, and we'll start to go through that process and make the jump. So thank you for writing this book, and thank you for living it. Uh, well, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate what you're doing in the community you have. And, you know, like I said, we, we're, we are standing by and waiting. As people read the book, uh, they go to whentojump.com. You can engage with us, and, you know, we're there to support. So, so thank you for having me. You bet. Take care, Mike. So here's a question for you. Have you visited and participated in a startup grind fireside chat yet? You know, the reason I ask you this each week is because I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city or your country with startup grind because you are going to find a group of really, 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 really enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors. So quit saying I'm going to do it and actually take the action and do it. Now, if you are here in Houston, we're going to be doing something really cool and fun and different for you in February. Instead of our traditional fireside chat in the evening, because most of the team is going to be going to the global conference in Redwood City that week, 
we're doing something new and different here at our home with Janet. Anthony, our wonderful AV guy, is setting it up where we're going to live stream the main stage presentations and you guys will get to co-work together for those two days that the conference is going on. So that Tuesday and that, that Wednesday, the 13th and the 14th. So check out on uh, today's blog post at thebreakthroughradio.com how you can go participate in that or just go to startupgrind.com and find out what's going on in your city or country. Well, it's time for us to talk with Andrea Walsh, our favorite go-for-no expert, and I think you guys are really going to love the topic she's picked today. I think it's a perfect way for us to start off January, Andrea, so thank you for picking this topic. Hello, Michelle. Yes, absolutely. Happy 2018. And I was literally going on to Startup Grind Orlando as you were speaking because every month I listen to you talk about it and I thought, I wonder if there's a Startup Grind in Orlando. And there is. So thank you for the reminder. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. You should be the national ambassador. Um, Seriously. But uh, yeah, super excited about talking this month, and I'm talking about finishing, and it's the perfect, uh, it really was the perfect um, conclusion to your guest today, which I just thought was fantastic. Um, what an what a interesting book. Um, and here's the quote I want to start off with everybody from Warren Buffett. We all love Warren Buffett wisdom. There seems to be some perverse human characteristic that likes to make easy things difficult. And I think that's so true, right? I mean, we all like to complicate. And entrepreneurs, of course, we are all very good starters because starting is so much fun and we all have so many amazing ideas. And, but that's, of course, the easy part. So, uh, and then starting is just we get to dream and develop and then reality hits, we actually have to execute and then we need to finish and then we need to launch. So finishing and launching, those two steps tend to be the toughest. So I wanted to dig in today on the Breakthrough Bite on what stops us from finishing or launching our product or our idea. And it's a variety of things. And much of it comes down to sabotage. And again, as the Breakthrough Radio mindset person here on the show, uh, the sabotage is all created in our minds, by our minds, designed to somehow protect us from failure and really from danger. Like, no, you're so much better playing it safe and, and not launching this new product or idea. What could happen? And I often t- often talk about this when I teach go for no. And I often say when it comes to hearing the word no, a lot of times people, when they think about rejection and they experience that one no or that one bad rejection, they go from that one no to all of a sudden living under the freeway overpass like right away, just c- completely quickly. And if that were true, no one would ever succeed, right? So, of course, you don't. Of course, it's not like that straight line, but that's what the brain does. The brain is wanting to make sure to keep us out of danger, and so it plays these horrible stories and um, convinces us that that one rejection or that one failure is going to completely destroy us. So back to Warren Buffett's quote, regardless of whether something is in actuality difficult or easy, how do you get unstuck? How do you get unstuck so that you finish? Well, I've, I've 
been studying this lately, and it was actually the thing that got me to my word of the year for 2018, and it, it dovetails perfectly into the show because I was doing this research, and I came across a fantastic interview from um, with Tim Ferriss and um, Marie Forleo, and uh, he was talking about on her show, this idea of simplicity. And so simplicity became my word of the year. And if you haven't done a word of the year, super fun, do a word of the year, like kind of the word that guides you for the year. But in researching all of these, I came to find three things that you really need in order to finish. And the first one is to be willing to be bad. And there's a funny, funny quote, and it says, if you are not embarrassed by your first project or first business or product, you are doing it wrong. So that's only if you launch the project, right? That's only if you get the idea or the product out to the marketplace. If you never do, it doesn't count. But you do have to be willing to be bad. That's just a reality. And I can think of everything that I've ever done. I look back on the very first brochures that we created for the presentations and programs we were offering to companies. And I am telling you, it embarrassed? Absolutely. Um, we, in fact, we just got, um, we would, we used to send friends and family, our family members, like our brochures, cause we were so excited and so proud of them. And someone, Rich's, um, my husband's brother found an old brochure and showed it to us. And we were like, oh my God, this is so bad. It was just so funny to see it. So just trust me, you will always look back and, and kind of cringe at the things that you create. But in order to do that, you've just got to launch, you've got to get it out there. Number two is from Tim Ferriss, and that is to force yourself to make it easy. How do you finish? You've got to force yourself to make it easy. And this interview that I was referencing, he was talking about answering and asking the question, what might this look like if it were easy? And you guys, this goes to this idea of complicating everything, right? Things are hard enough. We've got uncertainty. We're all driven towards this complexity. And in recent years, the, the, ideas, the idea is, you know, come up with your business proposition and your, and your idea, and it's got to fit on a napkin, a cocktail napkin, right? You've got to be, be able to put your whole business and your whole idea on a little cocktail napkin. Why? Because if you can do that and if you can keep it simple enough, then you could probably actually get it off the ground. So asking what would this look like if it were easy takes you down this path of looking for the most simple, elegant solution instead of, and that's a Tim Ferriss quote, the most simple, look for the most simple, elegant solution instead of the path of complexity. Like, for example, well, in order to end up with X product, we first have to do Y. And in order to do Y, we have to do Z. But before we can do Z, we've got to do, well, hang on just a second. Can you, can you boil this thing down and do some testing and do some launching and get it out there in the most simple, elegant way possible so that you can then move forward? And that really is how you finish. And then finally, um, finally number three is to put on the handcuffs. It may not necessarily be easy, your project. It may be completely daunting. You may have a lot of moving pieces. What can you do to ensure completion? Well, to stay on track some, you know, with your deadline or what have you, put some handcuffs on. Come up with something that forces you to stay on track. 
perfect example, a public declaration, right, that you, you would not want to go back on. Or if you did, that declaration would be painful or it would add on more work. So you make the public declaration, you put those handcuffs on yourself, and then as fast as possible you break it down into the smallest pieces you can and you only worry about those things every single day. Yesterday, I was on TV. I was watching um, the CBS Business. I think it's CBS. No, no, it's. Um, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway, Daniel Pink was on TV talking about his brand new book, When, and it's When: The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, which I might make as my whole next Breakthrough Bite segment because it was fascinating to me. But here's the interesting thing. What he talked about was in researching teams that work together, if they are given a date to complete something, research has shown literally this team gets no one in this team gets anything done. So they literally get nothing done until the halfway mark. And then the alarms start going off and people start mobilizing. And so there is power in deadlines, but there's also power in the halfway mark too. So put on those handcuffs, know your deadline, and then really – Come up with that midpoint, that halfway point, and figure out what has to be done by that midpoint as well so that you don't delay like this research that was done on these teams where you say, oh, okay, well, I if, I, if this is due on the 30th, I, I won't even look at it until the 15th. No, what do you have to do and get done by the 15th in order to stay on track and to make sure that your handcuffs don't become um, an embarrassment to you, right? Your handcuffs. It, Richard and I did this when we wrote our 10-book series. We handcuffed ourselves. We actually printed our entire release schedule for 10 books in the first book. And I didn't want to do it. I told him, I said, I don't want to do this at all. This is, this is bad. And he said, if we don't come out and have our deadline set, we will never hit them. We will be on book three for three years. And you know what? He was entirely right. It was painful. And we were running to the minute sometimes. But I'm so glad we did it because we truly handcuffed ourselves to this schedule and actually got that entire project done. It was a three-year project. We had something, a book that had to be done every quarter. It was the only way that we were going to get it done. So kind of to wrap up here, your action steps. First, can you give yourself permission to be bad, right? That's the first step in finishing so, so that you could just finish and if not, why not? And so look at that and figure out, are you, are you do, being too perfectionistic? Um, what else is holding you back? Because everyone can be bad, right? <laughs> if, if you're forced to be good, that's, that's one thing. But you can just get something out there. Next, what is the most simple, elegant solution? Can you uncomplicate this to get it finished? And then afterwards, then you can layer it on if there's extra time. Then you can layer on an added complexity or another piece to the puzzle or piece to the project, right, or, or thing to the, to the product. Do that later if you have the time. But simple, elegant solution. And then finally, the third action step is what handcuffs can you put on yourself? What things can you go out to the world or your tribe or your small group, it doesn't matter, anybody, and say this is what I'm doing, your audience, and handcuff yourself and make a commitment to finish by a certain time as well as have at least that midpoint goalpost for some kind of achievement so that you're working towards that, you don't get off track, and um, 
you uh, don't do what we all tend to do, including this research Daniel Pink was talking about, which is start really at the midpoint, and then all of a sudden scurry around and try, try to reach the deadline. So that is how to finish. That is the key here, everybody. It's We're all fantastic starters. Let's work on finishing this year. You know, I love that message, and I want to add one thing to it from Mike Lewis's book, When Jump. Give yourself permission to be lucky. So many times, like I shared with him earlier, we argue for our weaknesses relentlessly. How about if we gave ourselves permission to be lucky after we did all the preparation? (laughs) I love that. I love that. You know what that reminds me of, Michelle, is Wayne Dyer used to say, if you have two two, um, ways to look at something, you can assume that things are going to not go your way and work out, or you can assume that everything will go your way. And so that is that that kind of permission to be lucky. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrea. You did a beautiful job as usual. Can't wait to hear what we're going to learn from you in February. All right, Michelle. Talk soon. You bet. You know, because your feedback is so important to the entire team here on Breakthrough Radio, Our intention has always been to bring you guests each week that expand your knowledge as well as inspire your actions to grow your business. And to accomplish that, it benefits all of us to hear what you liked, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about, who you want us to bring back on, like we brought back Ginny Bliss last week, who you want us to bring on we haven't had on yet. And you can always email us those requests at the Breakthrough Specialist at gmail.com. Again, that's the breakthrough specialist at gmail.com. And I want to thank you for visiting and checking out additional episodes on Breakthrough Radio at radio.com. So, you know, quick reminder our brain download question is designed to be both fun and important. The intention is to remind you to ask yourself how am I making my choices and my decisions? This is Michelle Price here with the Breakthrough Radio here delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. We will talk with you again next Monday. 